I'm so glad you're joining me here at Confessions of a Recovering Hot Mess with me, your host, Bethany Sisteric. Come with me as we continue to dive into Daniel and how we can mimic his bold and sometimes dangerous patterns. Now, if you haven't listened to last week's message, go and do that right now so you can have the foundation of Daniel's life as we dive deeper. As we're well into week two of our three-week fast, I hope you're all enjoying your unfiltered time with the Lord as we seek him fully. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of the way through week one, I did great with carving out time for God in the morning and even in the evening. But somewhere around the six-day mark, I noticed that I worked longer. And I would even lead my family in a Bible time together at the end of the day. And then I would pull out more work, justifying it as simple and easy stuff that I can just knock out of the way while I'm sitting here doing nothing. Needless to say... God snapped my rubber band and very clearly told me to stop. He showed me I had removed one distraction and replaced it with another. Work. Which is something he laid out hard lines for me mere months ago. There's a time to work, a time to rest, and a time to be with God. And I'm learning about balance in this fast along with a few other things I don't know will be shared. But I know God has held true to his word, and when I've sought him with my whole heart, when I've drawn near, he has done the same. But when I'm scatterbrained or overwhelmed and not taking the time to center and surrender before seeking him, he's still there, but not in the same capacity. So in those moments during this first fast where I didn't place God first, I realized that was because I started seeking his blessing over his presence yikes. We should desire closeness with him over gifts and abundant blessing. I'm going to ask you the question he asked me about two years ago. If God never did another thing for you, would you still praise him? Would you still love him? Would you still seek him or share him with others? (sighs) Yeah, I know that's a doozy of a question. When the Lord asked me that, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Far too often we get stuck in that gimme, gimme, gimme attitude and not the what can I do for you, Lord, mindset. I know I'm 100% guilty of that. And although I've changed my mindset after he asked me that question, I noticed during this fast, I found myself right back there, slipping back into the old wineskin the Lord had already poured me out of. I guess it's true what they say, old habits die hard. But thankfully, we serve a God who is filled with mercy and grace. He doesn't have to purify us and mold us, but he does it anyway because he loves us. Although Daniel is our main focus over these three weeks, we're going to turn to David for just a moment as I read a few verses in a psalm he wrote that I think really nails it down, which is Psalms 27 verses 4 through 6. He says, the one thing I ask for the Lord, the thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. So here David understands that to delight in the Lord is to have a fulfilled life. It's not a bigger house or a nicer car. It's not to lose that pesky weight, but it is to simply delight in the Lord being near. Verses 5 and 6 say, For he will conceal me there when troubles come. 
He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. When we draw near to God and we're held under the wing of the Most High, not only will we be fulfilled, but we will also be protected. But what's the cost? David tells us this in verse 6 when he says, At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. In the Old Testament, they would physically sacrifice animals according to the law God put into place through Moses. But what would our sacrifice be? Well, friend, that would be the sacrifice of our lives. Jesus gives us the recipe for this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, by saying to his disciples and us, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I mean, it sounds kind of scary, right? To give up your life, your passion, your desires, your loved ones, and give it all to God. The fear really intensifies when you find yourself with trust issues, and you have to ask yourself whether you're going to choose to trust the Lord or not. Now, if you listen to the second episode in this season, you know exactly what I'm talking about because we talked in detail about that. And I also shared what the Lord asked me every time things were about to get difficult. He would simply ask, do you trust me? Now, in the beginning, I fought this. But I soon surrendered and walked through the pain of stretching the trust further and further. I walked through letting go of everything that I held so tight. And I may pick it up a time or two here and there, but my trust has undoubtedly grown as I lay it back down to the Lord. Then he asked me the ominous question. If I never do another thing for you, will you still serve me? I'm not going to lie. I'm still walking through this as I've shared because it's hard to let go of productivity in a world that screams how to be more productive. It's hard to let go of comfort when you've catered to it your whole life. But I'm coming into a better understanding that the true reward is not blessings or open doors, but it's relationship with the one true God above everything else. My sacrifice and obedience is all because of who he is, not because of what he can give me. This is something Daniel really understood as he continually sought God's holy and mighty presence. It didn't matter if he was in Jerusalem being trained as a prophet or in Babylon as a captive. He stayed in the understanding that to seek God and have him near is the true walk of faith and reward. For today's episode, we're focusing on Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. This prayer is long, but I'm going to break it up into chunks and then we'll talk about it because it really is quite bold and beautiful. So let's start in Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, which says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So the last king we knew about from chapter 8 was King Belshazzar. 
this already tells us that some time has passed. Now, I did some digging trying to figure out how much time, but I'm honestly not quite sure of the amount because uh, I couldn't get a definitive answer. But we at least know that it's enough time for a new king to be in his first year of reign. So Daniel states, he understood according to the word of God, some translations say books. And when it says that it's talking about the prophecies of Jeremiah and scriptures that the exile of Israel would last 70 years. So Daniel earnestly prays on behalf of himself and his people, because it's just about coming up on that 70 year mark that they've been in Babylon. We can see how deeply mourned Daniel is because it says he pleaded with the Lord in prayer and petition, and that he did this while fasting, wearing a sackcloth and with ashes. Now the sackcloth is what was worn to show remorse, and it was a symbol of willingness to do whatever it took to repent of their sin. A sackcloth was typically made from goat hairs woven together. It was incredibly itchy and known to cause a rash and discomfort. So wearing it would be a sign of affliction and an act of faith that the Lord would honor them wearing it. As for the ashes, they symbolized mourning. This was culturally known and practiced throughout Israel, as we see in the Old Testament with people like Job and Mordecai. Now, a few interesting things about ashes are it carries healing properties within the ash, making it good for fighting infections, killing bacteria, and helping wounds heal faster. And I kind of find that interesting because they would routinely use this with emotional wounds as they mourned. Ash also carries a lot of minerals such as calcium, potassium, and magnesium to name a few. It's actually really fascinating whenever you Google it and you kind of peel it apart and pick it apart and and see all the things that ashes can be used for. I highly recommend doing a quick Google search yourself so that you can learn more about it. Daniel is dressed in attire of mourning and surrender. He is in something that is not comfortable before the Lord to show remorse as he cries out in prayer for his people. Verses 4 through 11 reads, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Daniel starts out with praise and confession. He cries out with recognition of their sin and how they've turned away from God. He says over and over how they are covered in shame for the sin against God. And I can't help but stop to evaluate how I pray when I've sinned or gone against God with disobedience and pride. Do I cry out and accept that I'm a sinner with fervent pleas of forgiveness? Or do I say, oh man, I'm sorry, and move on? How do you ask for forgiveness? 
For myself, I've done both. But in reading this prayer multiple times, I see the need to stop, recognize, admit, accept responsibility, and cry out for forgiveness. I think in knowing the blood of Christ washes away sin, it can easily be seen as a sin without consequence card, like something we carry around that allows us unlimited amounts of sin. We don't see our sin as something that needs changing, or we just simply enjoy it and want to continue. I mean, I've heard countless people say things like, I like things the way they are. I don't want to change. I like me and Jesus loves me this way. So why change? Well, yes, Jesus does love you as is, but it's because of that love that he doesn't want you to stay the same. He never healed someone and said, you're healed. So just hang out there. Okay, bye. No, he says, go and sin no more. Now, I could talk about this all day, but we're going to go ahead and move on. Next, we finish out verse 11 and we go through 14. And it says, Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now Daniel says they have deserved every amount of judgment given while continuing to say, yeah, we did all these things. He also throws out something interesting in verse 12 when he says, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. And it kind of seems like he's reminding God of the prophecy spoken by Jeremiah And then the last part about this whole thing being worse than anything has ever happened ever. It's pretty much how it feels, right? When we're on the receiving end of our consequences. We can look back throughout history and see violence and pestilence that overwhelmed people. And yet our current struggle is far worse than all of that. I kind of feel like this might be a little sign of Daniel's humanity, And I can't help but think about Elijah, who also had a dramatic moment when he says that he's all by himself, the only prophet left, the only one out here doing God's work, and he goes and he hides in a mountain. Now, I am not judging because the Lord knows I've had some dramatic moments myself that have been far less than what either of these two faced. And I have no doubt I have not only cried louder, but also longer than either of them. What about you? Do you have a flair for the dramatic when you're overwhelmed too? So the end of the prayer is in verses 15 through 19. And it says, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. 
Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Wow. I mean, just wow. What a beautiful, heart-wrenching plea. It's raw and real. In these verses, we get to see the heart Daniel has not only for God, but for Israel as well. And it's beyond beautiful. So how can we follow Daniel's lead in our homes, communities, and churches? I got to tell you, it truly breaks my heart to take a step back and evaluate the body of Christ. Far too many wolves spew beautifully woven lies as leaders of churches. Far too many say things like, Jesus loves you and that's all that matters. And while we know Jesus loves us, it is not all that matters. Jesus didn't come and endure a brutal, unthinkable death for us to just wrap our sin in his love and go out for more. He died to save you, to heal you, to free you from the bondage of sin we tangle ourselves in. If you were kidnapped, bound up in the corner and abused over and over again, When someone came to save you, would you go back to those that hurt you? No, of course not. That would be crazy. And yet, that's what we do with sin. We run back to what felt good, what we enjoyed, what brought us comfort and validation, thinking it will provide the things we've decided we need. So how do we stop the cycle in our own lives? Well, Daniel laid out a pretty great example. We admit our sins and the wickedness we've lived in. We plead for the Lord's forgiveness and ask him to help us change. Here's the thing. You and I, we're not capable of change. I mean, truly changing from the center of who we are all the way out without God. We can change surface stuff, sure. And maybe even a few deeper things. We can certainly give up bad habits for good ones, but without God, there will never be a true severing between soul and spirit, also known as our wickedness and the image of God in which we are made. So that's step one. Now, step two is to walk in discernment with the Lord, heeding to his voice. When he tells us to say something to someone, say it. Pray for people, share the untwisted and unfiltered truth with love and compassion, not fear and demand. Fervently pray for the church, our country, and the world because we need restoration, repentance, and a rebirth of Jesus's bride. I hate to break it to you, but we're not ready for what's coming. It's time to grow up in maturity and faith. It's time to let go of everything we are holding onto so tightly. It's time to pray and beg God for his spirit to fall on us once again, so that we may relish in his presence more than we delight in his blessings. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today. I know there was a lot of hard and heavy truths, but I also know that as we start to truly surrender our lives to God, he will bring restoration and healing. Can you do me a favor and share this podcast with anyone that comes to your heart right now? Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Take care and God bless.